to Making the Brand, the podcast where marketing and pop culture collide. I'm your host, Brianne Fleming. I can't wait to chat about brands, boy bands, and everything in between, because brands who have a pulse on pop culture can create adoring fans of their own. Welcome back to another episode of the Making the Brand podcast. Today, I'm joined by my friend, John Steven Stansel. Another Twitter friend who I've had the pleasure of connecting with. Thank you for being here, JS, as I call you. Yes, excited to be here. Uh, ready to, to, to talk social media and talk comics. Yeah, and I see your social media content all the time, but learning that you love comics, that's a whole other side of your personality that I'm interested in learning more about and seeing how we can connect it back to social media and your professional life. And I love that before we started recording, you tweeted out this morning asking people to share what comic superhero would make a really great social media manager. So I'm wondering what are some of the highlights from that? Yeah, there were some interesting answers. And I purposely didn't say mine uh, to, to, to reveal here. Um, you, you know, to, to thinking, you know, what superpowers would be useful for a social media manager. And there were some really interesting answers. I was really surprised by, I said superheroes or possibly supervillains. And wow. there's a lot like dark horse in the running of Loki from Thor, like Ooh, the trickster okay. God, um, <laughs> which I think would be an amazing social media manager. He's, he's clever. He's witty. He's always kind of plotting like three or four steps ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I had not even thought of Loki, but three or four people are like, yeah, Loki all the way. Um, yeah. Got a f- few responses for Deadpool, which I think, clever witty you know um it's got the ryan reynolds connection (laughs) i'm not sure i'd want deadpool running social for my brand (laughs) (laughs) right right um there are a few others um batgirl was one of them um uh miss marvel was another um some of the the a a few different people like miss marvel has the kind of stretchy powers and somebody also mentioned elastigirl i think having that multitask being able to stretch your limbs and do five things at once would be useful my personal answer um okay two two different ones one one of my favorite low-key sort of soup not really a superhero but characters is uatu the watcher in marvel comics he is okay. tasked with watching all of the stories on planet Earth unfold and recording what goes on. And only inter- he never interferes unless something's really about to happen. And sometimes I feel like that, like I'm, when I'm doing my social listening. But you got to jump in sometimes. So, so my, my real answer would be Professor X because I think, one, Professor X has that cerebro where he can see everything that's going on in the mutant world. Um, mm-hmm. but also he's a community builder. He built the X-Men, right? Uh, he build, built those communities. Uh, he's a, a telepath. He can read people's uh-huh. minds and know what they want. Yeah. Professor X would be my, my social media manager of choice. Well, thanks for saving the reveal for the podcast. I really appreciate that. And to kick things off, I definitely want to have you just tell us about yourself. I know you have a background in higher education and you have your own podcast. And I love your hot takes on social. So yeah, just tell us more about yourself. Uh, so I'm, my name is Jocelyn Stansel. I run social media at the University of Central Arkansas. I've been doing social media um, 
full time for about five, just over five years now, but it's been a part of my job for the, you know, since it was a thing. Uh, yeah. And it was never really my goal to get into social media. I fell into it. My, my goal was to go back to school, get my PhD and teach literature. Um, mm-hmm. And I was teaching uh, English as a second language when the iPhone, just shortly after the iPhone came out and yeah. started working in my classes and, and using it to promote our program and eventually kind of tumbled forward into running it for various departments at our university, all the way to doing it at uh, full time at Texas State University. Uh, Texas Department of Transportation and coming back full circle to to here at the University of Central Arkansas, which is in my hometown. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been doing that for a while. I co-host a podcast on digital marketing and higher ed with my friend Joel Goodman called Thought Feeder. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I, I tweet a lot about social media. I love that because I feel like there's something really special about doing social media in the higher ed spaces. It's just I feel like there's this added element of community when it's a university and you have football. That's a football school, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> We're oh, in the yeah, South. Yeah, We've yeah. got to have, yeah. You know, there's there's that sense of pride that comes with higher ed. So I imagine that you do kind of echo that as well. Definitely. And I, I think you're exactly right. I think social media and higher ed, it, it, it syncs well together. Uh, and unlike mm-hmm. any other or, or most other industries w- with higher ed, I actually interact with the people I interact with online in person. Sometimes I'll be walking across yeah. campus and go, Oh, there's at Kitty Chan 27. And, <laughs> you know, if she just, you know, uh, her, her, uh, she had a problem with her meal plan. We got that solved <laughs> online, you know? Uh, and they don't know it's me, which is a little, little off where, but, okay. but also kind of interesting, you know, to kind of be the, the, the man behind the curtain. Yeah. Um, so yeah, building those communities and those students there, you, you, you follow that progression from the time they apply to the university are accepted mm. all the way to, we just had our graduation ceremony this weekend and, you know, you see them graduate. So there's a, there's a, yeah. there's a strong sense of community that also is uh, being a social media manager, you get to be a part of that. Yeah. So they tweet you right when they get admitted and then they tweet you when they graduate and then they tweet you when they're an alum. It's like this full cycle. And whenever they can't find a parking space. Oh gosh. I know what that's like. It's like a problem at every school these days, but maybe, you know, in COVID times, there's a silver lining. Maybe you're not getting those tweets as much. I'd be happy to get a few of them right now. Right. Right. I know. I know. We're like grasping at straws sometimes this year, (laughs) but let's get into the comic book stuff. I admit I know very little about comics in general. It's kind of my pop culture blind spot as much as I love pop culture, but I know you've seen my tweets. I am a true teeny bopper at heart. That was my fandom. You know, the the pop divas, the boy bands. I was just engrossed in that scene. So, and then even as an adult, I just never really got into comics. So this is going to be really fun for me because I'm going to be looking for those parallels between those types of fandoms and how maybe this even relates to my life because I literally know nothing about comics. So I'm looking forward to learning from you, but I I wanted to ask, how did your passion for comics and comic books start? And just how did you get into that whole fandom? Well, I I grew up in a household where reading was just paramount. My mother Mm -hmm. just emphasized it, you know, at the dinner table every night, the question was, you know, what did you read today? And she didn't really care if I was reading, you know, Moby Dick or the back of a cereal box, as long as I was uh-huh. absorbing the written word. 
um, that was that was what was important. And I think you know going to the grocery store. I think she used it to save on dental bills because you know kind of as you got to the checkout lane, there'd be all the you know candies and whatnot, and kind of mm-hmm. to bribe me away from that. She's like, you can have candy or a comic book, and I choose the comic book every time, right? Right. Uh, you know, candy's gone after 30 seconds, but you've got the comic <laughs> book for a while. Um, so I think that was kind of the start of it. And then growing up, you know, one growing up in the South, we talked, we mentioned football. I was never a sports fan, you know? So gotcha. for me, my community was riding my bike with my best friend to the comic book store every Tuesday to get the, the latest mm-hmm. comic books and, and talking to the, yeah. the people at the comic book store. And that, that sense of community was, was something uh, that I identified with and kind of grew up with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I relate to it in a similar way, again, with my teeny bopper angle. I mean, I grew up where every weekend my cousin and I would go to the mall and we would go to Walden Books or Books a Million or whatever bookstore there was at the time. And I would get a Tiger Beat or a Teen Beat or a Teen People. And those magazines were how I got into it. So it, it seems really similar. Like it's part of your childhood and then you still grew up and kind of embrace those interests. And now I've learned that you share this interest with your four-year-old son. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, yeah. You know, he's just naturally into to, 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 to superheroes. You know, he sees them and he wants to learn more and know about them. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, will and uh, again, I, I, my master's degree is in literature. I'm kind of the same way. Like whatever you want to read books, right. you know, all the way from, you know, Dr. Seuss to, you know, he's into star Wars books now. And it's like, if you're, if you're reading what we're happy. Um, so he, we take him to the local comic convention whenever that, that happens. And oh, he just has, yeah. he has a blast. Like we, we took uh-huh. him for the first time when, uh, he was just about two years old and it was shortly after, um, after Halloween. So we went to Target and all the Halloween costumes were on sale. So we got him a little Han Solo outfit, took him to there. And he just had a field day. And and again, come back to that sense of community. Like, mm-hmm. you know, our local comic convention is put on by our local library. And there, there there's a lot, it, it's become kind of a family thing now. Whereas when I was yeah. growing up, you know, the comic convention was, I'll be honest, was a little sketchy. <laughs> like, <laughs> Um, so that, that's been a lot of fun and kind of, Mm -hmm. I, you know, growing up in the nineties and being into comics, you know, slowly drifted out of them as, you know, I went to college and, and, and went into the workforce and kind of to get to revisit it and relive it with, with my son. One, I'm excited about doing more of it (laughs) and and, and just seeing seeing it through his eyes as well. And what a great way to get your son passionate about reading. I mean, at two years old, if you bringing him to these conventions and then eventually teach him how to read. I mean, the fact that he's even reading at four is is really impressive. But I think you've really inspired him to be into finding something that he likes and he's into. And he can really cling to that and want to learn more about it and just keep reading. So I think that's awesome. So I want to get into it again. I know very little about comics. So what are the major comic book franchises? Uh, I think there's a little bit of a of a rivalry, not only between the characters, but actually the franchises themselves. I don't even know if franchise is the right word, but uh, that's what I've been using. So feel free to school me on this. Okay. Uh, so so you've got the, the two major publishers, Marvel and DC, right? Mm-hmm. 
and I, I can get real, real super meticulous nerdy with it. Like everybody says DC comics, well, the DC and DC stands for detective comics. So if you say DC comics, you're actually being written. You're saying detective comics. comics. Uh, but, like ATM machine. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But <laughs> I, I, in my old age, I've kind of moved beyond that sort of, you know, pedantry. Like, um, but part of being a comic geek is being into that sort of minutia, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, you, you're growing up, you kind of pick a side. Are you Marvel, which is, you know, X-Men, Avengers, all the characters, Spider-Man, Hulk, all the Stanley creations uh, versus DC, which is Spider-Man, uh, excuse me, excuse me, uh, Superman, misspoke, <laughs> uh, Superman, Batman, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, uh, Justice League, all of those. Okay, okay. Uh, so those would, I would say would be the franchises under the publishers. Um, there's also mm -hmm. some couple other um, minor publishers like Image, uh, Valiant, Dark Horse, uh, but Marvel and, and DC are the two two big guys. Okay, got it, got it. So you had to pledge your allegiance to a specific side, and once again, I'm going to compare it to me and what it was like. You were either a Backstreet fan or you were an In Sync fan, and you had these fervent fans that just, you had to choose. There was no jumping ship. You were a loyalist and you had to just love them through and through. So I feel like that's kind of similar in the comic community. I, I think you definitely choose a side um, yeah. that, that you're, you're more prone to. But of course, with mm -hmm. like such dynamic, amazing characters, you're never going to, yeah. like, I, I'm a Marvel person through and through. I love Marvel, but how can you not think Batman's cool? Like, yeah. <laughs> Batman's great. <laughs> Uh, so it, it's kind of the, yeah, you can, uh, a Marvel person can like DC and a DC person can like Marvel, but y y you mm -hmm. pick one. That seems really hard to reconcile because, you know, maybe you prefer a certain character, but it's like you're choosing storylines and with music, you know, you either like a certain sound or you don't, but it's like, how do you choose what storyline resonates with you? It must be so hard to choose. So... Let's talk about this a bit more. I want to know how these franchises are marketed. So I imagine Marvel was first. Oh, DC was, was first. Uh, it's kind of, kind okay. of the older one. Marvel came around a little bit later. And, and Marvel's, you know, we talk about marketing or, or, or what makes each one unique. Um, mm -hmm. Marvel was really um, innovative in the way they're the hero superheroes with genuine people problems um, okay. where, you know, Superman up until, you know, after post Marvel and, and the DC kind of took some of that, that thunder, uh, you know, how could you beat Superman? He was, you know, big, tough, tall, strong guy could do anything, you know, was handsome, mm -hmm. cool, had a job, had money, Batman's super rich, can do whatever he wants. <laughs> um, and Marvel comes along and it's like, here's Spider-Man. He's Peter Parker. He's a nerdy kid who gets picked on at school. He develops superpowers, but he doesn't have any money. He, he's still struggling. He's got to, you know, make ends meet by being a freelance photographer. So even though he has those superpowers, he still has problems. Fantastic Four, they're a family and they have family arguments. Like they're fighting Dr. Doom, but also like, you know, brother and sister are, are, are having yeah. some rivalry or something like that. Um, so, so that, that's one thing that kind of makes Marvel unique, but as far when we really get into like the marketing, like what's selling the, the comics, um, mm -hmm. would be like, um, 
you you see a lot of like crossover events where you know Marvel and DC will cross over. You know, Spider Man mm-hmm. and Batman will have a fight, which uh-huh. they're both heroes. So like, what's going to happen, right? Generally, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it always ends in a tie, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they go fight one guy and one villain together or something like that. You have major events. Um, we talk about that in, in the '90s. The big one was the death of Superman, and this was where it was a big change in how comic books are perceived. You know, DC said we're killing off Superman, and immediately that comic book went up in value just overnight you couldn't find a copy of it um and you know sold comics thereafter and there was a big trend after that of just killing off characters like they broke batman (laughs) replaced batman and all all of these things um there were a lot of gimmicks in the 90s we can talk about like variant covers where you know one comic book 13 different covers collect them all it's all the same book Mm -hmm. but um the big events like you know like even we can can talk about the movies later but like avengers endgame and and infinity war and all of these things are just giant events the big one that came out in the 80s was called secret wars and it was chosen and created because the marketing uh department got together focus grouped a bunch of kids and the kids the word secret and wars play really well together so write a whole comic (laughs) series around secret wars will sell toys those are the two keywords go and it was awful <laughs> oh wow okay so bad uh, <laughs> so those sort of things are just there's a lot of stunt marketing i think with in the mm. comic book industry wow so stunts don't always work out the way you think they will but what would you say? I mean, you must have some great collectibles that you grew up with, either in the 90s or even in the 80s and some past editions and things that you've collected over the years. What types of shifts have you seen um, back when comics were promoted pre-social media, right? They didn't have these tools at their disposal to hype up these characters. So how how would you compare how things were marketed then versus now, now that we have social media and all of these tools at our fingertips? You know, I, I think a lot of with comic books and comic culture, they they were doing social media before social media in a way. I mean, we all were in, in some way, like it's yeah. <laughs> but with like the letters to the editor section in comic books mm. or a, a good way of generate getting user feedback and in a way user generated content. Um, mm-hmm. you know, if you go back and look at like the letters to the editors page from Marvel comics in the 1960s onward, uh, you, you see a lot of fans writing in with, with questions or even suggestions that then the editors took and they, they, they actually used and, and yeah. sometimes forge those connections so, so strongly that like, you'll see people who wrote letters to the editors actually ended up eventually writing the comic books sometimes even getting, getting employed by, by, um, by, by the, the, the comic book publishers. So I I think that is kind of a a proto social platform, right? Uh, In in comic books that's carried over even in today, you know, one thing that happened, um, a couple of years ago, even at our school, um, we had a student here at the University of Central Arkansas who was a creative writing student. And uh, he, ha- he has mo- mo- uh, uh, MS, uh, muscular sclerosis. Oh. And one of the characters in The Wasp also ha- has MS. 
And he wrote in and said, you know, thank you for including this and in, in the representation in, in the comic book, and it's really important. However, here are a few things that might make it more accurate. And they mm-hmm. took his suggestion and wrote wrote it into the comic and gave him a, a writing credit in in the comic. And I mean, how cool is that for yeah. a you know high, uh, college student to get a writing credit in a Marvel comic book? Wow. Yeah, like you said, it's like UGC before UGC as we know it. These audiences were still having their voice be heard and their content was being featured and it gave them this sense of involvement in these comics. So that is, that's really special. And like you said, we were all kind of doing social media to an extent, but it was just in a different format by writing it in. Oh, and when I was collecting, we would write fan letters, to, you know, and, and send comics in to try and get them signed. And uh, mm-hmm. you, you'd be loyal to those writers that would write you back. You know, I'll yeah. never forget Dan Keith, who, who wrote the Max for Image Comics, would wrote, wrote me a nice letter back. And it's like, oh, OK, uh, I'm following your work for forever. You're awesome. Yeah, it's a, a lot slower process, but it has that same effect of feeling acknowledged the same way people might feel on social media when they tweet to a brand or try to connect with someone. It reminds me of growing up, going back to my teeny bopper magazines, I always loved the embarrassing moment section. You know, people would talk about, I don't know, their their date with their crush and they had these plans and yet they, you know, they spilled fruit punch all over themselves or, or something embarrassing happened. And it was just a reminder that there are these relatable readers and relatable stories that come from the audience. And I think those types of things still translate and resonate with people to just feel like others relate to you, whether it's in print or digital. It's the same story. It's the same takeaway of what what it does for people and how it makes them feel connected. So as a fan, what have you noticed on social media as far as how fans react to these rivalries? Are there certain Facebook groups that people are active in where you pick a side or just tons of hot takes and how do things go down when there's a new movie? How, how does the fandom interact with each other? Um, the, you know, comic fandom can, is it can be pretty hot. And yeah. it can also be pretty welcoming, I, I think. And I try mm. to avoid the hot stuff because there yeah. is a, you know, one thing I, I've seen, you know, from from growing up in the '90s, being a comics fan, is mm-hmm. it becoming much more of an inclusive environment. There's still that level of toxicity where you've got, you know, comic fans that are like, no, this has to be this way, and you know, uh, and changing to oh no we we really want to see more inclusivity in in comics mm-hmm. um and it's become very positive and very welcoming uh you see i don't think it's when i was growing up it was kind of a boys only clubhouse when we go to the comic book store it was you know uh a 12 year old boy not a lot of girls at the comic book shop right <laughs> uh, but now you're, you're you're seeing that there you know hmm. i um you're, you're seeing more um writers you know uh women writers you're seeing more um poc writers who are uh, in, an artist um characters that are that are uh, much more diverse um which is really exciting and really welcoming and, and i think you start to see that in some of the the, the fandom coming out you know mm-hmm. especially you know with, with cosplay where it's like this is fantasy this can be anything you know superman right. doesn't have to be 
you know, a middle-aged white guy, right? It can be mm-hmm. different. We can play along with that. And I, I, I think that part of the culture as it pertains to social media is really exciting for me. Um, and that, that, that's what I see when I go to the comic cons is that, um, that welcoming nature of, you know, come on in. This is not our, our secret, you know, fortress of solitude or bat cave anymore. This isn't a more mm-hmm. open inclusive environment. And that, that's, that's really exciting. I think it's kind of beating, you know, to, to, to use comic book metaphors is sort of beating back the forces of toxicity. Right. That's really refreshing to hear. I don't know why I clung to the negative. I kind of had this perception that it was just, you know, people butting heads about certain things. Maybe maybe because there's so many villains involved. I don't know. Well, I think there is a bit of it that, that is still fun of like, oh, who's, who'd win in a fight? Wolverine or Batman, right? We can right. debate that <laughs> days and days on. And that, 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 that's, mm-hmm. that's great. Um uh, but I, I think there's also a lot of, hey, you know, what, what, what can we do differently? You know, mm-hmm. it's really exciting. Yeah. And it's all in good fun then. You know, I, I think what also makes it a little bit different, just again, thinking back to my experiences, it was always, oh, Brittany or Christina or Backstreet or Sync, whatever it might be. And with that, we were dealing with real people. But with this, you're just comparing fictional characters. So, I've seen some real personal attacks on some of these artists, and that's never fun to watch or to be a part of. So I think maybe if there's a silver lining, it's just that nobody nobody gets hurt really, right? Right. Well, I mean, you, you have, uh, you know, we talk about loyalty. Sometimes we're not just loyal to the characters; we're loyal to the artists and writers. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that, that kind of comes into some of the, the, the competition between Marvel and DC where, Hey, I might be a big fan of, you know, I'm not, i never forget, like, you know, you have Jim Lee, one of the best comic artists of all time. He's, he's, he, in the nineties, he drew X-Men and it was just, just vibrant art. And finally he got fed up and said, you know, me and my, my artist buddies are going to go start image comics. And it's like, all right, I love X-Men, but I'm going to go buy Jim Lee's comics over at yeah. now. Uh, or, you know, sometimes DC will snag a writer from, from Marvel and vice versa. So there, mm-hmm. there's, there is that as well. I, I, I don't think there's as much infighting between, you know, oh, this artist is better than that. But yeah. um, I think in addition to being loyal to the characters, there's, there's the writers, there's the, the, yeah. the artists too that, that play a big part in it. That's interesting. So then wherever they go, they have their own set of fans who will follow and support them. Exactly. Wow. So did that artist do the X-Men that's behind you? Oh, no. No. That uh, is a Jack Kirby, which is old, super old school. One of the Jack the King Kirby. Him, uh, he and Stan Lee were some of the, the founding, were the founding uh, minds behind, behind Marvel. So that, yeah, I've, had, yeah. I've had that as uh for those listening, that's issue 11 of the Uncanny X-Men from, I believe that's the 1963 or 1964. I've had it since I was 12. (laughs) Then again, that's another thing that I think makes comics so special is that they can be pretty timeless, right? The the storyline for these characters can span decades and generations and go on and on. And I think it makes me sad to think about, but I feel like the bands and artists that we love have this finite amount of time. You know, are they ever going to tour again? Will we ever get another album? 
and they're the only ones who could do it. It's not like another writer can just come along and create something. So I think that's that's really fun that we've just seen the legacy that comics have and how that can continue. And that's another challenge for the writers and the artists of like, you're writing Batman. Like Batman can only do certain things. So there's a limitation, but also mm. interesting to see like what boundaries you can can expand. What what can we do differently? I, I love the the uh, Into the Spider Verse movie where you've got all these different iterations of Spider Man. You know, you, you from from Penny Parker, who's sort of the anime version of, of, mm-hmm. of Spider Man story, to to Miles Morales and 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 the the dark noir sort of spider-man so it is fun to see kind of different plays on different characters yeah i bet it's really hard to live up to you know to continue a storyline in a way that the fans are still going to love while still introducing something new that i that's got to be hard i don't know if i would want to be in that position but it seems like with every new comic movie it's it's always a smash so it's great to see But let's get into the historical side of comics. I mean, we're going back to the 60s, maybe even earlier than that. And you, when you think of comic books specifically, is that a dying hobby or is there still a lot of excitement around that that maybe I just don't know about? Um, I think it's still, I mean, still going strong. Um, Like I said, Mm -hmm. when, when I was growing up going to a comic convention, it was like one you know, small room in a, like a holiday inn, like with a few <laughs> set up. And now the one here in my hometown, it's like a whole convention center full of, you know, comic booths and people uh, doing, co- I never saw people do cosplay when I was growing up, like yeah. a comic store and it's, it's a, it's a bunch, you know, just what you'd think. It felt like a dark tank sort of cavern. Um, right. And now it's much more open and lots of um, involvement there. Um, I think it, of course it's changing. Um, mm-hmm. you know, with, you know, um, the way, you know, comic book stores work and, and sort of the, the business surrounding that and, and small businesses having competition. But, um, I, I, I think it's, it's still very, very vibrant and, and, and really growing mm-hmm. and opening up to like new, new markets. Like, like, like I said before, you know, when, when I was growing up, but you go to a comic book store as a 12 year old, it's just, it, like I said, it's kind of boys club, but now like you go and it's like, there's just, everybody's there. It's just wonderful. That's encouraging because yeah, I can't think of the last time I purchased a magazine. I mean, everything's been digitized, but comic books seem to still be around. And I imagine that, like you said, everyone's there, at least pre-COVID. There's a place to gather and to just meet people and to connect and to feel like a kid again, right? I would I would kill to go back and relive those teeny bopper days like I'm always trying to do, but to still kind of have that magic of flipping through a comic book or, you know, even comparing them in in a physical sense uh, seems really special. So that's great to hear. Let's get into some of the marketing takeaways. So all right, you are a marketing professional. So I want to know how either a character or um, maybe some lesson from a comic book, what is something that you can apply to your career that you've learned about marketing through these comics? Um, well, as far as career-wise and marketing, I would say that there's a story like Stan- Stanley, who is, you know, the, the father of modern, modern comics, really. He, you know, he yeah. created Spider-Man, he created Fantastic Four, Incredible Hulk. 
you know, so many just cultural icons. He almost quit before he did all of that. Like mm. he, he was working on, in, on comics and not really happy with what he was doing and, and the work he was putting out. Um, and this is kind of mid late fifties. And he goes home one day and tells his wife, like, I think I'm going to quit. I'm not happy. Maybe I'll go, I'll, maybe I'll go into advertising, you know, copywriting. <laughs> and she says like, give it a month, go in tomorrow and do it how you think it should be done. And what's the worst that's going to happen? Are they going to fire you? You already want to quit your job, right? So go in and, and write the comics you want to write. And if it doesn't get better in a month, then quit and, and go, go into advertising, right? And he goes in, he, he writes the Fantastic Four. Right? He, and, 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 and it just kind of snowballs from there and, and changes the comic industry. So sometimes, you know, you kind of have to listen to your, to your, to your heart and your gut a little bit and do mm-hmm. things trust that, you know, maybe as a marketing professional, you are the expert and need to do the things that the way it needs to be done. So, and I think in social media, we run into that problem so often where there's oh, yeah. so many eyes on our work, right? I say, I have one of the few jobs on our campus that, you know, everyone from, you know, the, you know, entry level employee, you know, hourly employee in the mail room to the president sees what I put out on a daily basis. So if I screw yeah. up, like everybody knows, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so having, and everybody kind of has an opinion on what I want to do. At some point I have to say, you know what, I'm the one who has done the research, who is the professional, yeah. who has, knows what, what to put out there. And I think if we kind of take a, cautiously take that attitude, <laughs> yeah, we yeah. can do a lot better work. Yeah, I think a lot of us in this field can relate to that. It's like everyone is an expert when it comes to marketing. And I wish we had more creative liberty sometimes and autonomy. But <laughs> thank goodness for his wife for encouraging him to keep going. Who knows what would have happened? Yeah, that's the second takeaway. Like, listen to your partner sometimes, right? You know, <laughs> uh, I, I've, I've told, told that story many times where, yeah, if I'd listen to my wife, right? <laughs> I, I, always a smart move. Yeah. Um, I think another lesson too, to that's really important kind of on the flip side of that is don't take your community for granted. I think this is what happened. The nineties saw a big comic boom and bust where, you know, we talked talk about like the death of Superman and all these events come afterwards and all these sort of marketing gimmicks kind of came out to get people to spend their money on more comic books. So we talked mm-hmm. about variant covers, like 13 different covers for one comic book. The trick I hated most when I was like 12 years old was they started putting com- like, okay, there's a collector's card with this comic, but it's in a special bag. So if you open the bag, well, your comic is no longer collectible and worth any money. So, but if you want to read the comic, you got to open the bag. So buy two kids and you know, your hard earned allowance money. You're just like, no, I don't want to do that. Like I want to read yeah. the comic book, but I don't, you know, you're just my 12 year old brain was like conflicted. Like, do I the card? Do I open the thing? And all of those sort of tricks after a while, people just got fed up with it and we're like, you know what? I'm just not, I'm not going to do this anymore. And yeah. you know, there were so many collector's editions and they weren't gaining in value because they were just so many, they flooded the market with them. Right. The reason yeah. why, a comic book from the forties is worth money is because, you know, your mother ripped it up and threw it in the, you know, the war, you know, world war two recycle paper drive. Uh, <laughs> and those don't 
there aren't many that survive that, but you go down like the comic books that were, they were charging, you know, $50 for a, a comic that came out a week ago in 1994. It's worth like two bucks today. <laughs> I've had that same struggle just with the vinyls that I've collected over the years. Um, I actually tweeted about it. I was like, should I open these? I mean, they're not collector's items at this point, I don't think, but maybe in the future they might be. And someone tweeted back to me and they're like, life is meant to be lived. So make sure you enjoy those vinyls, listen to them. And I was like, yeah, I think that's, I think that's the right move yet. I still haven't opened them. So <laughs> we'll see. Uh, I, I think that applies to us in like social media. There's so many tricks and gimmicks and, you know, giveaways that are, you know, like and retweet and comment and tag five friends to do this. And it's like, Hey, you know what? Just keep it simple. Just have good quality content and put, put out that stuff that, that's, that's really good. And don't rely on, you know, having 15 different covers on your comic book. Like don't rely on having, you know, a bunch of flashy social media tricks and gimmicks to, for success. Just focus on just good quality content and it'll do well. Good. You're already getting into some content takeaways too. So Maybe there's some more of that that we can explore, but I want to get into a certain character that has inspired you. Oh, um, oh, there's so many. Like um, <laughs> Professor X is, I always kind of go back to with, with the X Men. Mm -hmm. um, he's just, he, he's he's conflicted a little bit, a lot. I, I, I think with with with. I think it's the duality of Professor X and Magneto, right? There's Professor X who's a mutant. It's like, let's work together and live in harmony with the humans. And Magneto's like, no, <laughs> like <laughs> the humans are bad. Get rid of them. Mutants forever. And, and they're both kind of equally right. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. in some respect. And I think personally, I, I go back and forth between between being uh, Professor X and being Magneto. Some days, like some days, I think, uh -huh. I, like with social media, like and and what I tweet about, like I'm um, um, Professor X, and like okay, let's let's all get along, let's all do this together. And then other days, I'm Magneto, where I'm like, no, let's. Um, so I think those two are probably uh, the biggest uh influence a little bit on me of of, of who i am or, or or reflect my own personality a bit so mm -hmm. uh i'm always x-men were always my favorite so uh, gotcha. all, all of those characters are always a little bit of, of one of them gotcha gotcha so okay if we were to zoom out a little bit and just think about comics in general or maybe if you want to get specific but what is a lesson or two that brands can take away from comics and just how they've stood the test of time or Wherever you want to go with this, I would just really like to understand some uh, application that really anyone can can take away from this industry. It, it's storytelling, right? And, and marketing mm -hmm. is storytelling. Um, we identify with these characters, even though they're like superheroes. And 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 we talk about about Marvel being like superheroes with real people problems, right? Mm -hmm. That's why those Marvel comics were so powerful. Like, yeah, Superman is great. Batman is great. But I'm Peter Parker, right? You know, I, I, I see myself in that and I see that struggle. And, and the fact, I think some ways in, in, in social media is being open with our own, own struggles and, and, and being honest as a brand of what we're doing and, and being open uh, and being a little vulnerable. Like Spider-Man is at heart, 
a, a nerdy little kid who gets bullied on the <laughs> playground, right? Um, so I, I think telling those stories and being open and honest is, is really important. Um, but you can still be a hero, right? Uh, yeah. you, you can still, you know, swing from rooftop to rooftop and uh, do a little bit of both. So I, I think there's that, that equivalency is really important. And then just those quality stories stand the test of time, right? Um, and we, we talk about and being on brand. Like, you want to talk about branding? Look at superheroes, right? right. They, have, they have their own colors. They have their own logos. They have, you know, they have their own voice. You know, um, catchphrases, taglines, and all of that. So there's a whole issue of branding we could talk about with with superheroes right. too. Mm-hmm. And merchandise, everything. Yeah, I I think the storytelling angle is really important to touch on because even though these characters are superheroes, they still have trouble. There's there's still conflict. They still get defeated from time to time. And that's what really makes it interesting. No one would want to watch a superhero movie if there's no one to fight or there's no one to save. There's no big conflict where everything is on the line. And I always say with storytelling, you don't want to just get right to the happy ending. You have to illustrate what happened before then that led to this happy ending. Um, Whether it's a testimonial or whatever it might be, you want to show what makes it particularly triumphant. Don't just say, oh, yeah, this brand helped me and everything's great and life is perfect. But where were you before? What was day one like when you were at rock bottom? And I think that's something that has shown a lot in the storyline in defeat and uncertainty and all that that comes with comics. Right. You, you don't have a superhero without a supervillain or mm-hmm. a, a, a weakness, right? You know, yeah. Originally, Kryptonite was not a part of Superman originally. And, and uh, maybe, maybe a, somebody who's nerdier into comics will, will correct me on this one. But I believe Kryptonite didn't come along until the Superman radio show. Where like the director said, "Hey, this guy just can't be beaten. We we need something to like. <laughs> there's no story if he just sweeps in and beats every you know beats the bad guy every time. There's got to be something that uh, can do that. So you've got to yeah yeah that's you got to have that conflict. You got to have something in there to 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 put some stakes in there. Yeah, there's got to be some drama. Otherwise, it's just not interesting. There's nothing to follow. No one to root for. You know, no one to really." Um, it's just, it's so much more endearing when you can understand where someone's been or, uh, maybe that's why, who's that curmudgeon <laughs> Ninja Turtle, uh, Raphael. I think it's kind of what makes him endearing is he kind of has, um, he's and, uh, well, it's for that anti-hero. You, you always kind of root for that a little bit. And I think yeah. we see that on social media, some of the snark brands like mm. Wolverine is a perfect example. Like he's not friendly. He's angry all the time he's rude honestly if you met him he probably smells bad <laughs> like uh-huh. you know he, he but you, you you love him because there is that like you know he, he's not super polished and clean cut all the time he's got those rough edges and we see that in ourselves and i think mm-hmm. you know creating content sometimes that a little bit more raw content that's not quite as clean and polished performs better than you know, I hate to pick on Superman all the time, but like, um, you, you, you know, you might be, you know, Spider-Man, right? You'll never be Superman. Right. <laughs> like, right. Never that. You know. 
He was born that way, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting how when you're the voice of a brand, it's it's kind of like you're acting as well, especially if you don't relate to that voice, if it's not your personality at all. You know. Um, you know, that's one thing I, I do whenever I, I take on a new brand is I find a role model and, and a celebrity role model to be be the voice of the brand. I do that too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's at Texas Department of Transportation. It was the the stranger from the Big Lebowski, uh, Sam Elliott's kind of cowboy character. Uh, here at the University of Central Arkansas, our voice is the build team from MythBusters, not not the two main MythBusters, but the the three. Uh, build uh, p- person build team like and I think to myself okay, is this w- how they would say this you know uh, yeah. if if I ever take a day off and I give somebody the reins like this is this is your model like talk <laughs> like these people so mm-hmm. yeah assigning an archetype like that I always felt is really helpful in demonstrating what a brand voice needs to sound like or what you're you're shooting for because instead of just describing it with adjectives you can you can personify it with a character that's familiar to people. I think it's a really great way to give that detail. Well, awesome. It's been so much fun geeking out with you over this stuff. Um, is there anything you want to add, maybe? I don't know. Is there um, a certain comic or um, edition you have that you want to brag about or anything? Oh, oh man. Um, I already talked about my, my, my earlier X-Men, but like... Um, <sighs> I don't know. I, I would love to, to, I always enjoy talking about nerdy things. It's, um, I, I think it's a aspect one. I don't talk about it a whole lot on my personal social, but that's a part of, of who you are. Like growing up, like this big, you know, comic book geek, I'm a, you know, I, I worked at a guitar shop. So I'm a big like guitar nerd as well. And I, yeah. I think, I think these sort of fandoms, um, are important in establishing your, your personal identity, but also kind of build, who you become as a professional, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I learned so much growing up um, reading comic books and being in, in the comics, working at a guitar shop taught me so much about that. So I think for, for me, you know, the big takeaway is use those pop culture things that are a part of you like as inspiration. Um, yeah. I, you know, like I said, you know, being, being a literature major and a literature student, like uh, daily I think about like, you know, how does this, this relate to, to what I do? So, um, Mm -hmm. yeah. Embrace those pop culture moments that you have. You know, I love that advice. Um, pop culture is not only a big part of this podcast, but also what I consider to be my personal brand. So I absolutely love that advice. Um, so tell everyone where they can find you, follow your content and keep up with you. Yeah. Um, like I said, I co-host a, a podcast called Thought Feeder uh, with my friend Joel Goodman. Um, just search it. It's on all your podcatchers from I, uh, iTunes to um, Overcast, uh, wherever you get your, wherever your pods are casted, uh, you can find us there. Uh, you can find me on on Twitter um, at JS Stancil and on my personal website where I, I, I blog on occasion, <laughs> which is just mm-hmm. JSStancil.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, JS. This was an absolute pleasure. And it's going to add some variety to the show because I'm always in my boy band land. So it's been a lot of fun to talk about comics. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks for having me. If you're a fan of this podcast, be sure to subscribe or better yet, leave a review. You can also join my Twitter chat at hashtag pop chat 
for weekly pop culture discussions you can actually learn from. If you have an idea for an episode, shoot me a DM at Brianne2K. As always, thanks for listening.